Let me encourage you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 1. We'll be continuing our series in this book. Last week we looked at the first half of this verse. But as I did last week, let me read some of the context. I'll read beginning in verse 18 through verse 26. We hear Paul summing up why he is and how he can rejoice in life and in death. Let's come now to the very word of God, the precious word of God. Hear it through the voice of his apostle Paul. Receive it with faith. Yes, and I will rejoice, Paul says. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh That means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with y'all for your progress and joy in the faith. But in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. That's in the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Ask his blessing upon the preaching and the hearing and the trusting of this word. Just bow with me. Almighty God, we come to you now. Show us the gain that is death. Show us the glory that is the life in Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. We mentioned last week, Paul says, I can rejoice. I can have joy. I can have joy in my life. I can have joy in my death. I can have joy when I know the the sword of the executioner is only seconds away, perhaps only minutes down the road. They may come to the cell. They may take me out of my home and they may cut my head off. Last week, we looked at the first half of this verse, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ. What is life to Paul? If he sums up, what does life mean to me? Jesus, that's the life. But today we come to the second half, the last half of this verse, to die. For me, for to me, Paul says, to die is gain. Isn't that interesting? I mean, what is death? What is death, really, for you, for me? Isn't death a scary thing? Death is a terror. Death is the terror of terrors. Death is the villain of villains. Death. Death rips open the hearts of the sensitive. Death tramples with grief, sensitive, tender hearts. You know that if you've been grieved before. Death can snatch babies from the arms of mothers. Death can put them under the ground. Death can bring dust back to dust. Paul can say that for him, death is advantage. Death is profit. The, the, the translation gain here is a great translation. It gets to the reality here is a finance. There's something almost financial about it. There's a gain. There's a profit. There's an advantage. But what does he mean by it? How can we understand this strange, weird comment? We live in a day where even to use the word death is 
suddenly uh, verboten, it's suddenly forbidden. We no longer speak of death, do we? We speak of passing on. It always bugs me when, when Christians give up the language of death. It's our ace in the hole, in a sense, as, as a Christian. We face death. We deal with death. Our gospel is about one who dies. Death occurs. And yet we, uh, we pass it off as simply passing on into some other world vaguely considered. Let's not give up that word death, because with it we have him who has the power over death and Hades. So let's first look at Paul's death from the point of view of a human. What would it look like to lose Paul? What would it look like for his buddies when Paul would be out of the picture? How would other humans see it? Well, of course, he's under trial in Rome. He's under trial. He's in execution mode. He would kneel before the block. The executioner would take his axe or take his sword. And the head would be chopped off. What would that be like? What would that be for his friends? It would be loss. It would be tragedy. It would be awful. It would be terrible. From the perspective of our relationship with Paul, if you knew Paul, I mean, I don't know if any of y'all know anybody in prison. I don't know. Maybe you'll tell me afterwards. You know somebody on death row. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe you do. I don't know. I don't know anybody on death row. I know folks in prison, but they're not facing death. And yet, Paul, from our point of view, Paul's lips would never speak again of the great theme of redeeming love. He would never speak again of Christ. He would never speak again of him crucified. No more would he speak of Christ and power and the spirit. His lips would not speak. No more would his tongue give prayer. You know, Paul's a man of prayer. We've been looking at that. He wouldn't have any more prayers to give. No more songs to sing. His feet, what he calls in Romans 10, the beautiful feet of the preacher. They would not be beautiful across the Roman Empire. They'd be cut. They'd be killed. They'd be dead. No blood flowing. No more would his hands work to labor in building tents. No more would he labor to provide for himself. No more would his hands labor to provide gospel fruit for other people. His hands wouldn't work. No more would his eyes look out on the idolatry of Athens. If he does in Acts 17, no more would his eyes look out upon the idolatry of Athens and blaze with zeal for the cause of the gospel truth. You see, from human perspective, everything would be a loss. From our point of view, death is not gain. Death is just lost. It's just a bad. It's a null. It's zero. It's empty. It's not profit. It's a red negative sign. Not in the green, but in the red. And he is conscious of this. In fact, he'll say later, this is verse 24. If I remain in the flesh, it's more necessary on y'all's account. Y'all need me to be here. Because if you don't have me, you have lost something. So first things first. Just to clear, the, clear, clear away the, the brush, Paul's not saying death is gain for y'all. He's not saying from a human vantage point, as you know me, as your best bud, as your friend, y'all love me. It's not gain for y'all. It's not gain for y'all if I die. It's pain. It's grief. It's the Kubler-Ross stages of dying and grief. It's tragedy and sadness. But look at the verse. For to me... Verse 21, to me, from my vantage point, Paul says, for me, death equals gain. We're going to look at that statement in three ways. We're going to ask three questions about it. We're going to ask first, how did he know? Second, how is death gain? 
And, and third, what comfort, what basis did he have? What basis can we have in his life and his death? How did he know? How would it be gained? And where's the, where's the comfort and all that for him and for us? He is so convinced that death is gain. Paul is so convinced that his death is gain that he can say later, I want to be with Jesus. It's very important to note that Paul's not writing this when he's kind of downcast. He didn't just take a downer. He he didn't just kind of listen to some really sad emo music. He didn't just paint himself black and wear mourning and sackcloth. He wasn't just staring at a gray wall in a gray room one day and said, death, I'm a morbid man in a morbid mode. Death is gain. No, he's not. This is not some phase of his life he's going through. He's not in a fever pitch. He's not sick with flu and saying, oh, death, I just want to be out of here. He writes them as a settled conviction. So we have to ask, how does he come to this conviction first? How did he know at all that death is gain? What was his source about death? Is he speculating? A lot of us speculate about death, about the afterlife. That's one of the questions we were asking yesterday to folks in Athens. Is there heaven? You believe there is. You think you're going there. Is there an afterlife? But Paul is not expressing his opinion. I feel like I simply believe that death is gain. He knows what he knows about death only one way. There's only one way he knows about death. It is by divine revelation. Because I'm going to tell you something that may break your mind. It shouldn't. The doors of death only swing one way. The doors of death only swing outward. You can't come back in afterwards. You cannot run a scientific experiment on what death feels like. There's no control group. You can say, ah, they went through death normally and this person. No, you can't. You can't taste death and then spit it out. We can only know about death if God tells us about death. Paul knew the revelation from the Old Testament scriptures about the grave. He knew the revelation from Christ, the Messiah. He is utterly dependent, therefore, upon God to show him what death means for the Christian, for the saint. And you and I, likewise, can know nothing for certain about death unless God tells us. And that runs counter to everything that we're told. Everything your friends tell you. I've been to several funerals in my time here in the South. And I can kind of tell you how they're going to go. They all are very similar. They're all filled with speculation about what's happening now for the person. They're all filled with all sorts of speculation about being in a better place. Some chubby angels, some clouds, maybe some mansions vaguely considered as what I like my house to look like. They must like it. They're doing their favorite stuff. They're hunting or they're fishing. They're playing golf. They're doing whatever. That's the majority of our speculation about death and the afterlife. How silly that is, friends. How flimsy that is. How unfounded that is. Even the best of our speculation about death. How uncertain are our fancies. You know what most people rely on about death? You know what the best sellers are, right? The bestsellers are spending 90 minutes in heaven. I went there. I came back. And guess what? I don't even need to read the book to tell you what, 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 the, what the 12-year-old or the 18-year-old or the 5-year-old saw. He saw vague lights and vague forms. I don't need to read the book because that's always our speculation. 
something vague and happy and cheery. He didn't die, friends. You don't go to heaven for 90 minutes and then come back. It is appointed, we're told in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it's appointed once for man to die and then face judgment. Not twice, once. It's sad, friends, how quick we rush as Christians who are armed with this truth. Death is gain. It's sad how quickly we rush to speculation to silly stories of the beyond, how they pass on, how they pass away. That language, friends, does not come from Jesus. The Bible never uses pass on. You can look it up. The verb is never used for passing on from life into the afterlife. That is language that comes from the crystal ball and the seance. That's language that's Victorian ghost spirituality, not true, robust, biblical Christianity. There's only... There's only one death. And the only deaths in Scripture that ever were temporary were ones like Lazarus where God raised them from the dead. Paul knows about death, not because he interviews Lazarus. He knows about death because God reveals what death actually is. And you and I likewise only know about death because we come to this word, because God tells us. So how is death gained? How did Paul know? He knew because God spoke to him. How is death gained? Death is gained in, in four ways. For Paul. To him, death is gain. Four kinds of gain. First, for Paul, death is gain because it's gain in knowledge. Christ says, John 17, verse 3, what does it mean to have eternal life? What is eternal life? What is the essence of eternal life? Knowing God. Knowing God and knowing Jesus. What is eternal life? Knowing Jesus Christ. This is eternal life, Jesus Christ says. So how, how do you grow more in eternal life? You grow more in your eternal life right now by knowing more about Jesus Christ, knowing God in his face. This is why Paul, one of Paul's prayers, we looked at it a few weeks back. One of Paul's prayers is that you would have more knowledge. This is verse 9 of chapter 1. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. You recall the two girlfriends, the two handmaidens of love, knowledge and discernment. Paul prays, I want your love to be more knowledgeable. I want you to know more. You see, Paul is always praying for us to have more knowledge to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And we are told in 1 Corinthians 13, what are we told? We're told that right now we see only through a mirror. We see only through a mirror and that darkly. We see only in shadow form. It's real, it's true, but not as clear as it could be. But then, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, then we'll see him face to face. We will know him as we shall be known. We shall know him as we are known right now. We shall then have knowledge that you can scarcely imagine. It's funny because when people think about heaven and the afterlife or whatever they, they think about, they don't think about knowing Jesus better. All people think about, I know, because this is what I think. This is what, you this is what everybody tells you. What question are you going to ask Jesus? The Bible does not tell us that we're going to be asking Jesus kind of like trivia questions. There's not going to be, you know, uh, guess my favorite ice cream color with Jesus time. It says that you will know him then even as he knows you now. You will have direct intuition of Christ as you see 
him face to face in person. The great Scottish theologian John Webster puts it like this. We are only now in the foothills of God's, the mountains of God's providence. We're only in the foothills of the mountain of the knowledge of God. But then we shall scale to the summit. We shall be at the mountaintop. So isn't death gain? That's gain because you will know more. Spurgeon put it this way once. The least saved in heaven knows more than the greatest saint on earth. Least saved in heaven knows more than the greatest saint on earth. You want to know Christ more. You will. You will. Death is gain. Second, death is gain in terms of holiness. Not just knowledge, but holiness. If the essence of eternal life is knowing Christ, what is the goal? Why do you have knowledge? Is the purpose to fill your brain and make you a big head? No, the purpose of knowledge is to be like Jesus, to be holy like him, to be more and more conformed to the image, to put on the family resemblance of Christ. And Paul says we are chosen in order to be holy and without blemish before him. You see, for every Christian, you know this, if you're a Christian, the chokehold of sin has been broken. It's power weakened, but it's still in you. You still fight against the spirit and the flesh. They still war. That classic text, Romans chapter 7, Paul does not say, I've once found a law in myself back in the day. He says, no, it wasn't before Jesus I found that law in myself He says, I find today as a Christian, I find in myself a law that wars against me. I do the very thing I hate, the very thing I don't want to do. That's what I find in my members that I do. He's not talking about a pre-Christian experience or a a, a pre-Christian past, but a real Christian present. Christians struggle with sin. And yet Paul knows when the ax falls on his head, He will be in the presence of Christ and he would be fit for being in the presence of Christ. He will be equipped for being in the presence of Christ. He will be one of those Hebrews 12. Just men made perfect. He'd be with Christ. He'd know Christ, but he would also be fit for being in the presence of Christ. He would not be burnt to a crisp. He would not be unclean. He would be Saints made perfect. Do you know how beautiful that is? It means you'll never have to repent. In heaven, there will be no repentance. There'll be no agony. There'll be no pain of repentance. There'll be no agony of sinning. There'll be no worry of assurance. There'll be no more dragging yourself to church on a stormy, rainy Sunday morning. They'll be delighting in the presence of Jesus Christ for Paul to die as gain. And isn't that one of the biggest questions you have? One of the constant questions that I get, one of the biggest issues that folks have about heaven, what about grandma? What about the black sheep, Uncle Joe Bob? Uncle Joe Bob was not a good guy. I don't think he's in heaven. You wouldn't say it out loud, but you kind of know it up here. What if I get to heaven and my Uncle Joe Bob, who I love, ain't there? What if I get to heaven and my friends and my family, because I know what the Bible says about heaven and hell, and I'm sincere and I I have a genuine care for their souls, but what if they don't know the gospel and my family and my brothers and my sisters and my parents and my kids, what if they don't all make it to heaven? I mean, the Bible says you won't be sad in heaven, but if they're not there, I'll be sad. 
I mean, I, I love them. I care for them. I don't want them to spend eternity in hell. How could I be happy? How could I not be sad if they aren't with me in heaven? It's a very, it's a very good argument. It's a very powerful argument, except for one thing. The only answer that makes sense is that we are transformed. The only answer that makes sense is that our happiness is so transformed and transmuted that we become happy in the holiness of Christ. That we begin to see, we see that thing that is so hard for us to grasp, that God is actually wiser than us. I mean, do you know that God's actually wiser than you are? That he has a reason for what he does. That's really not just pretty good or sort of makes sense, but it actually makes perfect sense. I don't know the reason. You don't know the reason. I'm not God. You're not God. It doesn't make sense here on earth when you have parents and kids and siblings and friends who go not down the the ancient paths. They go down the different paths. They go down the self-centered paths. They go down the arrogant path. They go down the path of evil. And you're in agony because you love them. I can't tell you why. All I can tell you is you will be so pure and holy and clean that you will say, now I see. I didn't then. I didn't know why. But now I see. Heaven is gained because you will love him so much that his wisdom is pure. You will see the truth and the purity of his wisdom. So knowledge, wisdom, third. Death gains Paul. Death gains us companions. It's incredible. If you, if you track Paul, you know, you can look, flip to the back of your Bibles. You can have all those fun little maps. Paul goes here. Paul goes there across the Mediterranean. But if you just read his letters, you get a sense of that as well. There's all those those chapters at the end of Romans, chapter 15 and 16, where Paul goes into detail. Greet this person. Say hi to that person. Oh, here's here's somebody else. Oh, it's it's, it's Priscilla. Yeah, sure. Talk to talk to her. And he can write letters to the church in Philippi and Ephesus and Colossae and Rome and all the rest. He can write to all these people. And what is he always saying? I have a big heart. I have an enlarged heart in prayer for you. I'm praying for y'all over here in Rome, over here in Greece, over here in Turkey, over here in Jerusalem. I'm praying for y'all. Have you ever considered? Have you ever tried to consider? For the past 2000 years, how many Christians have gone before you? How many Christians have lived and have died before you were ever on this earth? One of the benefits of history is that it cast our arrogance down to size. Paul would enter when he died immediately into the presence of Moses and David and Abraham, Jonathan, Hannah, Sarah, all the rest. And in a way we can't even imagine, it's not just that he would be in the presence of the saints made perfect, but he would be in the company of the angels, the myriad, the legions of angels, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. The veil would be pulled back to be with Christ, to be with them in Christ. Don't you see why death is gained? Death is gained because the veil is pulled back. Right now you can't see what's happening. Right now you can't see all the worship that is occurring this moment. We can't see the angels singing with us. We can't see the saints singing and praising God and worshiping him with us. But they're there. 
And one day you will be able to be with them. Maybe then our complaint about the state of the church in the West or America ought to be a little bit more cautious if we realize just how great and mighty the church is when seen from heaven's angle with heaven's eyes. Knowledge, holiness, companions. Fourthly, and the rule, the, the, the chief capstone, the chief glory of heaven. Supremely, death for Paul is gain because it is communion with Christ. Death is communion with Christ. This is the apex of it. Look at verse 23. Paul says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. He says, I want to depart and I want to be with Christ. And you should have an immediate response. You should say, what now, Paul? Hold, hold your kittens, Paul. What do you mean? Aren't you with him now? Don't you have Jesus now? You live with him. He lives with you. You just said, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ. And then you're saying you have to go be with him. Aren't you with him already? Well, I think Paul would say, of course I'm with him. But there's a sense in which I'm not with him. There's a sense in which I'm not with him and he's not with me. And death will usher in that greater, closer union with him. In his immediate presence, without the burden of the fallen world order, with creation that groans for the transformation of the sons of God. If you just have this verse, you could even point out that when you die, Christians, you don't sleep. Death is not an entrance into sleep until the resurrection. You don't go to some holding chamber. You don't go into a stasis pod until judgment day, much less you go into any kind of purgatory to kind of do a spiritual exercise routine, you know, kind of gym work to work off the, the, the pain. Christ says the penitent thief on the cross today, you shall be with me in paradise. So when you close your eyes in the sleep of death, what happens, dear Christian? You open them immediately in the glory of the presence of the Father, in the glory of looking into the face of Jesus Christ. Death is gain. Do you prize Christ so much that you are satisfied with him? And do you prize Christ so much that you can say, we looked at it last week, for me to live is summed up in Jesus. And for me to die is gain because I can depart to be with him. You see, death for Paul is nothing more than gain. Now, I have to give one warning here, one caveat here, because there's a way that we're tempted to think death is gain. It's not gain. That We're tempted to think for a variety of reasons, that death is a gain because we escape our bodies. You know, you get arthritis, you get aches and pains, your bodies don't work the way they did, you have the disease, you have cancer, and the characteristic position of certain forms of Greek philosophy, among many others, would argue that our body is basically a prison house fundamentally bad and our spirit is fundamentally good and so we get to leave our physical body and that's the gain of death that's not how paul thinks of death paul has a completely different orientation towards life and death he is not regarding earthly life as insignificant he is not regarding physical life as insignificant 
His dilemma about dying is because he values the significance of serving Christ. Our shorter catechism in question 37 answers it great. It says, what benefits do believers receive from Christ in death? Here's the answer. The souls of believers at their death are made perfect in holiness, immediately pass into glory. That's the soul. What about the body? Their bodies being still united in Christ rest in their graves till the resurrection. Our bodies are not jails to get out of. Isn't that what a lot of folks think? A lot of folks today think I can change my body. I can change my body to be what I really am. I can change my body. I can we do this not in some extreme way. We do it very simply when you look in the mirror. You look in the mirror and you say, I need to change my body. And so you go to the dentist and you get the teeth whitening. You go and you put the makeup on. You go to the doctor and they tell you, change your body by doing this diet and this routine and you'll be well. You go and you try to change yourself. You get a new haircut because you want to look different. You want to look better. You put on the clothes that flatter you. We want to change our bodies. Because our bodies do feel, well, they feel different than our souls, don't they? But the Bible tells us that your bodies matter. The limitation to your body, the, the warts in your body, the hardship of your body, the aging of your body. The separation of soul and body and death is not gain. It is the great anomaly that will be perfected ultimately. It will be resolved when Christ comes and the resurrection occurs. We confessed just recently, a few minutes ago, we believe not in the resurrection of the soul. We believe in the resurrection of the body, that you will be a, an embodied person. Death is gain. Death is gain. So that's two questions done. How did Paul know? He knew by God, by divine revelation. What did he know about death? Death is gain. Gain in knowledge, gain in holiness, gain in companions, gain in communion with Christ. Last question today. Last concern. How did this comfort him? How did he know that he can get comfort from this? How could he say with conviction, for me, death is gain? He doesn't qualify. He didn't say, you know, most of the time, I feel like death is gain. I mean, isn't death, he says elsewhere, the wages of sin? Isn't death a bad thing? Isn't death the inescapable fact that tells us we are under the curse of a broken covenant? It sounds noble to say. This is the classic atheist position. It is a classic story that's told over and over again. I once was chained in my religion, and then I got the courage to say, that's hogwash, and now I stand firm, and I accept the hardship of life. I mean, the, the, the classic Atheists show us much more courage than I think we do sometimes. They're able to say, I face the reality of death. I just take it on. I just accept it. And even in our uh, TV shows and movies, what do we say? We say death is part of the circle of life. You know, all things die. It's not. It's not part of the circle of life, friends. God made you to live. He made you to live fully. He made you to shine with life in part of his original human design and blueprint. Death is not just a natural occurrence. It is an interruption. It is an evil. So how can Paul say for me to die is gain? It's not because he's looking at it nobly and staring it down. 
The only way is that he can understand the relationship between Jesus and death. He understood the relationship between death and Jesus Christ. Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law by being made a curse for me. Christian, you have to understand this. If you want, not just for evangelistic purposes, but for the comfort of your own soul, you have to understand that Jesus has stripped death of all its horror. You don't have to have the courage of Socrates to face death down. Jesus has stripped death of its horror as the wages of sin. He has stripped death of all its power to destroy. He partook of flesh and blood that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Death has been transformed for the Christian into fatherly discipline where Paul will be with his Lord. That is why we said it last week. Only the person who can say for me to live as Christ can say for me to die is gain. So there's a fourth question. There's always a last question. There's a fourth question. Do you have this confidence? Do you know that death is gain? You got to listen here, friends. No matter what age you are, no matter if you're young or old, you're going to die. No matter what generation you're in, we, we, we live in a day where the uh, people play up generational differences. <laughs> Guess what? Every generation will face death. You will die. And no hand wringing, no hand waving, no euphemism about it, no disguising death, no hiding death, no denying death, no ignoring death can solve that puzzle. We talk about remains. We don't talk about corpses. We speak of passing on. But the Bible does not use euphemisms when it comes to death. He stinks, they say of Lazarus in the tomb. It's been four days. He is dead. By now, his body is decaying. That's what the Bible says about death. And Job is even more intense about it. What does Job say? The worms consume the flesh. Can you say death is gain? The best the atheist can say with all her courage facing it down is death is an enemy and I'm just going to face it and nothing happens afterwards. That's not gain for the atheist. And the problem is for many of us as Christians, we don't see death as gain either, not that much. Because we're scared about it. We take on the, the mindset that our friends take on, our neighbors take on. Don't talk about death. Don't talk about what comes after death. Don't talk about that experience. Let's hide it in the hospital beds where we don't have to go to. Just let the medical professionals deal with it. They can, they can take care of it. Let's put folks away who are in pain of death. And the problem is we're, we're, we're scared to talk about it even in church. Why did we come to church? You, came to, you didn't come to church to hear about death. I almost guarantee you, you did not come to church and say, oh, you know what I want to hear? A talk about death. Yes, that's going to pet me up some. No, we come from a little bit of encouragement to bring it back to the important things like the weekend. But friends, you can't think death away. You cannot ignore death away. You are going to die. I am going to die. Don't be the person who is enslaved to death and the fear of death. You are to look death straight in the eye. Just like our atheist friends. We, we can look death straight in the eye because we can look at the cross. We look at death through the cross. We look at death and see what death did to the Savior, the very Son of God, what he took on. 
That's why John says in Revelation 13, 14, blessed are those who die in the Lord, but cursed are those who die out of Christ. So don't put your hopes on flimsy, flim-flam, deceptive tales of bright lights and shadowy figures from the great beyond, from clinically dead patients on hospital beds who came back. There's no coming back from death. But if you do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, haven't you felt the, the difficulty of saying, for me to, to die as gain? I mean, this is a hard thing to say. If we're honest, it's hard to say, for me to die is gain. So here is my pastoral prescription for you. Meditate on what death is. Meditate on what Paul sees as gain through the darkness. You go through the waters of death and you emerge in the light of the Savior. It's very natural to fear the experience of dying. It's very natural. And Paul is not saying, if you fear dying, that's a sin. No, it's very natural for us to fear the experience of dying if for no other reason than we haven't done it before. Remember the first time I was on a plane, I was like four years old and I was crying my head off every time. You know, the, the, the plane, I was okay while I was stationary and then it started to move. And then it went up in the air and I was screaming my head off. First time I fly. The first time you flew. I'm sure you were not, you know, relaxed about it unless you had taken some medication. Fear of the experience of dying, it's not sinful. It's, it's understandable. We haven't done it before. It doesn't mean you're willfully, willfully ignorant. You're, it doesn't mean you're unbelieving. And the reality is very few of us will die of old age. Very few people die, quote, of old age. God sends a messenger. He sends an illness. He sends cancer. He sends a heart failure. He sends just pain upon pain upon pain. It's not easy. And anybody who thinks it's light or simple just to die is fooling themselves. Fear of that's not simple. But if you have a fear of what lies beyond that experience of dying, remember that you're in Jesus Christ, Christian. If you are scared of death, that is of what lies beyond. Look to Christ. Don't fear talking about death. Don't fear pondering the grave because of what lies behind it. There is one who has gone through the grave. He has been under the power of death for a time and he has emerged victorious over it. That's not morbid, by the way. Morbid would be just to talk about death and have no hope. That's morbid introspection. That's morbid discussing death. It's not morbid to discuss death. It's morbid to discuss death without hope. That's why you're to flood your mind with these verses. Death is gain. I'll close with this classic illustration. I've mentioned it before. There's a Presbyterian pastor up in Philly, Donald Gray Barnhouse. And one of the great tragedies of the life of Donald Gray Barnhouse is that his wife died when his daughter was about 10 years old. And he had just conducted her funeral. He was driving back home with his daughter. He had the one girl. And he was driving the way back from preaching the funeral. And he, it was a two-lane highway. And there was a huge 18-wheeler truck that was barreling down. They passed by it. They passed by the truck. And his daughter was crying. And he wasn't really crying. And his daughter asked, Daddy, why aren't you crying? Mommy died. He said, I know. I'm, I'm sad. But you see that truck we just passed by? 
Do you see the shadow of that truck we just passed under? Would you rather be hit by the truck or the shadow of the truck? And his 10-year-old daughter said, the shadow of the truck, of course. And so Donald Gray Barnhouse said, Jesus Christ was hit by the truck of death so that your mom, my wife, only had to go through the shadow of death. Death hit Christ. The sting of death is sin. What is the sting of death? Sin. And the poison of that sting went into Christ. And because death hit Jesus and you believe in him, the only thing that can hit you is the shadow of death. And what, what does Christ say? Even in the valley, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. My rod and my staff comfort you. Even in the presence of my enemies. What is the last enemy? Death. The shadow of death, if you're a Christian, is only the entrance into glory. So let us say and mean it, death is gain. Let's pray. Father, we come and we praise you for giving us life that is not just beyond the grave, but life even now, a foretaste of that glorious knowledge, holiness, companionship, communion with you. We pray that we would prize not the grave itself, but prize what is beyond the grave. Help us to say, for to me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. May that be our motto this week and this day. We ask this in the name of the one who has passed through the grave, Jesus Christ, the righteous, raised to new life. And all of God's people said, amen.